Welcome back. It's Jimmy B and TC on 1700 KBGG. Changing the topic over to a little college football as we get ever closer to college football season. And Ben Kirchival from CBSSports.com, he joins us. Ben, what's happening down south? Not much, dude. I'm on my last week before I go on vacation. Ah. And I am... I'm not fully checked out, but I'm like I'm like 90% there. I <laughs> uh, understand that one very well. I got a little vacation time coming up in a couple weeks, and, and certainly looking forward to that. But before that, we got speculation. We got well, not a whole lot of, in terms of stories. Seems like normally, you know, we had expansion talk for a while. We had those rule changes a couple weeks back. But, but overall, for college football, it's been a pretty quiet offseason. Is that a fair way to categorize things? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been real quiet. And actually, you mentioned the expansion. I remember like two or three years ago, I mean, every offseason around this time, it was like clockwork. You'd get the Big 12 <laughs> expansion. And this is like what we're having right now, like the sound of silence is the stuff that my dreams were made of because it was just <laughs> every year it was the same talking points about Big 12 expansion. And then to a degree, it was just a matter of chasing your own tail because – the Big 12 was never really getting any closer to any of this, and nothing that they would have added really would have helped you know, the long-term stability or, or health of, of the conference. It still rests with Oklahoma and Texas. And you know, it's interesting now. It's, you mentioned there's not really an off-season story. There isn't. But if you're interested in sort of a, a, a Big 12 angle to watch maybe over the next five to ten years, you, you know, now – it's the Pac-12 who has the narrative on their shoulders of having some instability and some grumbling with Larry Scott as the commissioner. So it was that the Big 12 was always viewed as the weakest Power 5 conference in terms of their long-term vision. Now that, that shifted over west a little bit, and you, know, you look at the Big 12 payout, they're, right, they're, you know, they're not ever going to be as good as the Big 10 or the SEC, but you know, they're right up there. And, and so I, I just think it's interesting how if you don't make any dramatic movements, just give it a few years. It's interesting how that all kind of plays out on its own. So you're basically saying that the most volatile league right now is the Pac-12, and fans of teams in the Big 12 can take a deep breath for at least a few years? I would. I would if you're a Big 12 fan, if you're an Iowa State or a Baylor fan, I would just enjoy it for now. Because there was a point like five years ago where, oh, yeah. like, Baylor, they were going to have to get lumped into, like, the Big East or something, and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, how am I going to, you know, possibly, you know, live with this moving forward? Just, just take a little bit of a breath, enjoy it. You don't have to worry about all of this nonsense going on, the circus of it all. Just take some time, live in the moment, have some fun with it. And as far as the Pac-12 goes, I, in, volatile is, I, I don't know, maybe that's a little bit of an extreme word. I, I, maybe, that's, maybe that's not the right one. I, I would just say that they have an uphill battle to climb. Um, the, I think the passion for football out there is always going to be a little bit of an uphill battle for, for most programs, not every program, but for a lot of the programs. Um, the viewership is not really where they want it to be. The, um, the reach uh, of their product getting to the fan bases is not where they want it to be. And some of these things are just inherent uh, again, these are just inherent uphill battles that they have to fight, and there's never really an easy answer for it. It's not like you can change commissioners or change uh, your, your television programming uh, 
you know, reach plan and, and suddenly everything's better. I think some of it with the Pac-12 is just always, always something they're, they're going to have to fight as far as perception goes. Well, as we're talking about Big 12 football coming up this year, I think everybody agrees Oklahoma is the favorite in this one. You know, there's been buzz during the offseason about West Virginia. I've been digging into my Phil Steele as I got that in my hands and just looking at the schedule that the Mountaineers have. I think it's going to be incredibly difficult for them to be that second team and get to a Big 12 title game. Who do you like second? Who's your choice right now as you look at it to play Oklahoma for the Big 12 title? Probably be TCU again. Yeah. Um, they're going to be reloading on defense. I, I actually like their situation at quarterback moving forward post Kenny Hill. Um, he, he was a, a guy who, you know, he was a longtime starter, but you never really were sure what you were going to get out of him week in and week out. Um, they have a really, they have a few young wide receivers who I, I think could be have some breakout seasons coming. So I like overall what TCU has coming back. You, you mentioned West Virginia. They they were certainly the, the pick du jour there for a little while. I, I, I wonder if some of that sparkle is, is fading on them a bit. Obviously, Will Greer is incredible, and he's the best downfield passer in the country. Um, he's not getting nearly enough buzz, I don't think, as far as legitimate Heisman contenders go. He's sort of on the periphery um, of that list. I, I think he's the real deal. But you mentioned the schedule. If you look at it in November, it, it's outrageous. It's really, really brutal. And, you know, they don't have a lot of depth, um, especially on defense. They don't have a lot of depth along the defensive line. And they have some returning playmakers, but it's just when you get into that real meat of the schedule, mentioned November, all those difficult games, that that's when you're going to need, you know, to be at, you know, your healthiest. And they're already going to be a little bit shorthanded, I think, coming into the season. So, Again, they're sort of the fun team because they have the, the big-name quarterback in Greer, but I think Vegas has their over-under at like 7.5. I would probably still take the over, but, man, 9 might be their ceiling, and I think that would be an incredible season for them. When you sit and you examine at least right now on paper for the Big 12, you have Oklahoma 1, and... TCU is there. West Virginia that you just talked about is there. I think Cyclone fans want to know, is this the year that Iowa State is in that top three or four, or are they still a year away? It's just going to be really tough for them. I, I don't know that I would put them necessarily in my top three. You know, Texas is always a good quarterback away from winning 10 games. Kansas State, you know, is, is going to be in the mix. Um, to a certain degree. So I, I, top three might be a little bit tough for Iowa State. I will say this, though. I think they have the best player in the country that no one is talking about in, um, in David Montgomery. And mm-hmm. I've been a real big fan of his dating back to last season. Um, and then when you go and you look at the numbers, we use pro football focus. And he, his advanced stats are just off the charts. Um, he was the highest-graded running back coming back for 2018. Um, and, and we just did a feature on him, uh, Dennis Dodd did at CBSports.com. So if you have one of the best players on the field, even if he doesn't touch the ball every single time, I think he gives you a good chance to win. Um, but I would look at David Montgomery this year. He won't get the same type of maybe national hype as like a Saquon Barkley or a Darius Geis. But I think in terms of overall talent and productivity – I think he's going to 
he's obviously going to put them in a position to at least be bowl eligible, if not a little bit more. Ben, uh, you look at most people's projections at this point, and, and things are, are getting very chalky. It seems like maybe the divide between the haves and the have-nots at the very top is getting more and more significant with Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia's in there. Washington did make the college football playoff a couple of years ago, but but after that, there, there seems to be such a big drop-off. Is is this something cyclical, or is this maybe a big concern going forward for the top of college football? No, I think it's always been that way. I think if you've never won a national championship, chances are you're never going to. And um, if you've only kind of recently been in the discussion, maybe you're sort of a new money team like Oregon or you know somebody like that. You know, you you might have an outside shot, but overall, I think it's it's always kind of been the case. Um, I mean, you could. I don't have, obviously, the numbers in front of me, but you could probably go back over the list over the last 20 years, and, and I don't think the, the sheer number of teams that have won a national championship is very large. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's dating back to the pre-recruiting star era um, in college football, and then you, know, you go back a little bit further before there was an 85 scholarship limit, which I think has done more for the, the, the broad talent disbursement of the sport than anything else. So, to me, it's always been about the Blue Bloods. If you go into any given year and you say, who has a realistic shot of winning a national championship, I can probably count it on one hand, and I can maybe give you seven or eight teams, but it'll never be any more than that. Do you have a team, not to win the whole thing and win the playoff, but do you have a team that you're targeting down there a little bit further that you think can make a run and maybe sneak in as the four seed? Sneak in as a four seed? Well, you mentioned Washington, and I, I think they're going to be everyone's sort of fun pick. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, I, I haven't dived into it all that deep yet, so I, I don't know that I can give you sort of my, my trendy trendy one. Um, Washington would probably be it. Again, TCU, if, if they're able to win that Big 12 championship game, might be it. Um, but outside of that, it's going to be really tough. I, I don't think anyone's going to uh, surpass Alabama from the West. Or um, or Georgia from the east. I, Auburn might have a shot, but that's a, that's a very steep hill to climb for them. Having a great conversation right now. Ken Kerchival is our guest, CBS Sports. Uh, I'm really curious, Ben, about uh, the the situations around college football. It's kind of like the dead period all of a sudden now. After all of the recent signings, do you pay much attention to, I guess, the recruiting aspect? Or are you a guy, okay, let me see when they show up on campus and how they look on the field in a college uniform. I'm not interested in high school. (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, I am interested in recruiting because, it, that's your that's your lifeblood. I mean, that's that's what you need in order to have at least having a, a, a shot to succeed at the highest level. So I'm I'm interested in it, and obviously the way that camps are conducted now, um, seven on seven camps. That you know, it used to it's no longer just like this optional or, or seasonal thing anymore for football. It, it's it's twenty four seven, three sixty five. You know, there's guys now who are more prepared to come into college as a freshman and contribute than there ever have been. And that doesn't mean that they're fully ready. It's always an adjustment period. But I, I think that transition is much smoother now than it used to be. But, 
obviously, it, recruiting is never an exact science. Um, just because you sign a class with a bunch of four- and five-star kids who are maybe more physically developed than some other players, it doesn't guarantee you anything. It just kind of gives you a leg up. But um, I, to me, what I like is I like kids coming in and, and having an opportunity to compete and, and showing some promise right away. I mean, I, I'm a guy who likes to see everybody succeed. So it, it is always fun to watch those incoming classes come in and who shines and, and who really stands out. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where it's, it's really tough to predict. You do the best you can, but it's, you know, it's, like I said, it's not an exact science. Good stuff. Hey, Ben, always good catching up with you. Thank for your, thanks for your time today. All right, thanks. That's Ben Kirchival, CBSSports.com, joining us talking college football with him, a North Texas guy, and doing great work with CBS, Jimmy B. Mm-hmm. And, and have you had an opportunity yet to read David uh, Dennis Dodd's piece on Montgomery at Iowa State? Really well done. It was a very well done story on that. And the thing that, that, that Ben was talking about when you looked at Montgomery's so-called analytics uh, the guy is like the number one back in the country in missed tackles. Mm-hmm. In other words, he, you you can't you can't grab them, and he makes people miss. And I think that if Iowa State Trent has a decent offensive line, and it appears that they may, and they can open some holes and let this guy get free, we really, if you are a Cyclone fan you really might be in for a very special season from this running back. Well, and a big takeaway, I thought, from that article was just, frankly, how bad the offensive line was a year ago. I I thought they were adequate. Certainly, I thought they were better than what they were a year before, but you're talking about guys now that have a whole lot of experience, good Jones and company. Mm -hmm. You go through there and you look at that offensive line, a lot of experience now getting older, and you're right. If they take another step forward in that offensive line with Montgomery, look out. Not bad for a two-star quarterback, Wildcat quarterback, coming out of high school. They'd always get him right in recruiting, Jimmy B. Yeah, I know. I, I loved it. I loved it when Ben said, it's not an exact science. Boy, you got that right. Not at all. We're coming back on the other side, and we're going to talk with uh, Ian Castleberry, our buddy from the comeback. little Major League Baseball talk with him. Also some sports media topics. He also works at Awful Announcing. We'll get into that with Ian coming up next here as we take you up until 6 o'clock, Jimmy B and TC. We got high school baseball as well, presented by Bennigan's on Merle Hay Road and Brick Gentry PC and Rush Nigget for your franchise law needs. Southeast Polk hosting Valley should be a good one. 645 will take the air with the pregame show. All to come on 1700. Welcome back, everybody. We continue all the way till 6 o'clock right here on the Big Talker 1700. Uh, time now for Ian Castleberry. We're going to do some Major League Baseball conversation with Ian from the comeback. It's always good when he comes on the show. Ian, speaking of comebacks, the Chicago Cubs, who were stinking up the joint for several games in Cincinnati and then dropping the first game on the west coast of the Dodgers, break out last night. And it seems that Cubs fans had lost their minds and, like, had thought that they got to fire the manager, they got to do this, they got to do... It's baseball. Can you please reassure baseball fans of good teams that if they go through a minor slump like what the Cubs just did, that they still have, like, 862 games to play? 
Yeah, this is not football. There are three and a half months still remaining uh, in the Major League uh, Baseball season. Uh, I, I know it's uh, frustrating. Cubs fans uh, have been going through this uh, over the past uh, over the past year, really, uh, between the past two seasons uh, of a team uh, underperforming. Um, I think you do have to give the Milwaukee Brewers credit. They are playing very well, especially uh, their record in one-run games. Uh, with their outstanding bullpen uh, is especially impressive. But you look at the Cubs, and you know they have uh, arguably more talent than any other team in baseball. And uh, the numbers say uh, they're essentially crushing teams. You know they have a plus eighty-five run differential. Uh, they're they're scoring. Uh, they're among the top scoring teams in Major League Baseball. They allow uh, among the fewest runs. Uh, in baseball, so you wonder why uh, this team isn't dominating. Why are they two and a half back uh, of the Brewers? But, uh, you know, I think uh, they've had some players, uh, especially uh, on the offensive side, uh, underperform. Uh, Chris Bryant, I think him going on the disabled list uh, with shoulder injury, I think, frankly, is kind of a relief. It certainly explains why uh, he's been uh, producing so poorly in June, you know, 267 average, 707 OPS, which is like 200 points below what we usually uh, expect uh, from from a former MVP. Uh, just one home run. Uh, so if he can get uh, get healthy uh, and come back, you know, in July, you know, before uh, the All Star break, there's still plenty of season uh, for Chris Bryant, for example. Uh, to uh, produce uh, to his normal standards and help the Cubs be the team uh, that we all expected them to be going into this season. Well, speaking of the Cubs, keeping them afloat with the issues that we've seen from Anthony Rizzo, the injury to Chris Bryant. You talk about the power outage we've seen out of him. Uh, Another portion of this, Ian, has been the play of Javi Baez. We know about the glove, inconsistent with the bat throughout the early portion of his career, but he's putting together a monster season right now. I don't know if you'd consider Freddie Freeman the front runner, I guess, for the MVP race right now in the National League, but is it time to start talking about Javi Baez joining that mix? I think you definitely have to be talking about Javi Baez, uh, you know, certainly uh, producing uh, far more uh, than, than any other second baseman, uh, other maybe than Ozzie Albies uh, in Atlanta, but Baez is hitting for a better average. I think the fact that Baez is going to fill in at third base uh, for Chris Bryant uh, during uh, his absence uh, boosts his MVP chances. This is why the Cubs didn't trade Baez. You know, yeah. he looked like an extra piece. Uh, at one point, but uh, you know, uh, uh, Theo Epstein, Joe Madden, they kept a lot of these guys who could play multiple positions, even when it seemed there might not be a spot. This is why uh, Joe Madden has uh, emphasized uh, positional flexibility with so many players on the roster. Baez uh, has, has played second base. He's helped out at shortstop. Now he's going to play uh, at third base. Uh, how many players uh, can you know provide uh, that sort of versatility, that sort of production for their teams. Well, uh, on the other side, it seems like a foregone conclusion every single year. It's going to be American League MVP for Mike Trout putting together a monster season. Though scuffling a little bit here over the last week or so, he's uh, dealing with an injury at this point in time. 
When you look at Trout and another season where the Angels are starting to take a step back, you got Seattle being the surprise out there, and of course, chasing down the Astros. And with one of the wild card spots already taken, are we on the road again for not seeing the best player in baseball, Mike Trout, in the playoffs? Yeah, it's certainly looking that way. The Angels have been uh, sliding badly, uh, and uh, you know uh, the the death blow, uh, if you will. Uh, certainly uh, the knockout blow was uh, losing uh, Shohei Otani uh, for the rest of the season. Uh, but, yeah, Mike Trout uh, well on his way to being an AL MVP again. Uh, he is the best player in baseball. Unfortunately, we haven't gotten to see that in the postseason. I don't know how many people get to see it, get to see him play regularly in general uh, since the Angels are West Coast. You know, when, when they come uh, uh, make a swing on the East Coast, he gets plenty of attention. But uh, he is uh, the proverbial uh, five-tool player. He, he can do it all, hit for power, hit for average, run, uh, throw well, and, and has outstanding range uh, in the outfield. It's just a shame uh, that the Angels haven't really been able to put a good team around him. It certainly seemed like this was the year. Uh, you know, the, the Angels uh, you know, made, made some uh, big, splashy uh, signings and re-signings. And we mentioned Otani. Uh, uh, bringing back uh, Justin Upton. It looked like their pitching staff uh, ha- had come together. Uh, there's certainly plenty of time uh, left uh, in this baseball season, but, but as you pointed out, Trent, like even a, uh, a wild card uh, seems to be slipping away with as well uh, as the Mariners are playing, and you figure uh, the other wild card spot is going to go uh, to whoever doesn't win uh, the AL East. Ian Castleberry joining us from the comeback, talking some Major League Baseball. So, Ian, uh, I see uh, yesterday, I believe it was, the updated AL All-Star ballot, the uh, races tightening up, and you always wonder exactly how those tighten up so quickly, if it's actually the fans (laughs) doing it, or if these numbers are are a little bit fudged, but... I, I, one thing really jumped out to me, you know, Altuve running around away from second base, no surprise there. But I was looking at first base, and Jose Abreu having another nice season for the White Sox. You expect that. But the the depth and breadth that you're used to at the first base position, especially in the American League, just isn't there. Second in the voting is Gary L. with the uh, Astros. You got Mitch Moreland in the third spot. He's had a nice year. Pujols fourth, Cabrera fifth. And Cabrera, we know, out for the season. But uh, gone are the days when you'd have five, six, seven guys seemingly at that first base position that really should be all-stars. Not the case anymore in the American League. It is pretty stunning when you look at first base uh, in the American League and just how down uh, it is uh, around the league this season uh, in terms of production. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know Miguel Cabrera would uh, be seemingly be uh, a perennial all-star, uh, not going to play, obviously, uh, because of injury. It looked like uh, it looks like he, he wouldn't have uh, got a, among the voting totals uh, anyway. But um, there just aren't that many standout players uh, at first base uh, in the American League. Uh, you know, Albert Pujols certainly has the name recognition, but just has not been the same player uh, since he signed uh, uh, with Anaheim. Chris Davis having a, you know an abysmal year. Uh, for the Orioles, that, that's another name uh, you would expect. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion, uh, you know, kind, kind of alternating between DH uh, and first base. Uh, there just not has not been uh, the standout. Uh, you know, maybe one guy who would have gotten a lot of votes 
had he stayed with Kansas City was Eric Hosmer, but uh, he uh, went, went to uh, the San Diego Padres. Uh, the, neither the Yankees or the Red Sox uh, really having uh, a stellar first baseman, even though uh, Mitch Moreland uh, is up there in the voting. Uh, Jose Abreu uh, certainly not a uh, uh, an unworthy candidate, but uh, the fact that he is leading voting at first base, I, I do think does speak uh, to the weakness uh, at that position this year in the American League. Speaking of weakness, your Tigers have taken a step back. I'll let Jim jump back in here in a moment. Who's going to be your Tigers all-star, though? Is it Nick Castellanos? And if it isn't, who would be second? Uh, yeah, I think it is going to be uh, Nick Castellanos, uh, maybe uh, Leonis Martin. Yeah. Although I think uh, Leonis Martin is going to be uh, the starting center fielder for the Boston Red Sox <laughs> uh, but before uh, uh, the end of the season. Uh, yeah, really, maybe uh, you know, there, there's not even a, a starting uh, a pitching candidate uh, that can make it. So, yeah, I think it is going to be uh, Castellanos. Uh, I don't know if you guys just saw this uh, coming across the wire. Uh, the Tigers fired Chris Basio mm. uh, as their pitching mm. coach. Uh, okay. Apparently for something uh, he said, a uh, conduct uh, sort of issue violated team policy. Uh, the Tigers aren't saying what exactly uh, occurred, but certainly uh, uh, serious enough uh, for, for uh, the team to uh, consider making a change. But I, I think uh, the concentration for the Tigers is uh, eventually going to be uh, selling off pieces like Castellanos. Uh, are they going to uh, trade uh, Leonis Martin? Uh, is Michael Fulmer uh, somebody who, who uh, you know, a much younger pitcher that maybe they could get uh, a bigger package for uh, in return? Uh, I think that's going to be the storyline with the Tigers uh, over the next three, three and a half months. Ian Castleberry is our guest from the comeback. We're talking Major League Baseball. Ian, um, this story, I think, probably caught most reporters and fans off guard. Uh, it certainly did me. Arizona Diamondbacks relief pitcher Archie Bradley has admitted in an you know the story has admitted in an interview that he pooped his pants before coming into a game have you heard anything that outlandish ever before i have not uh the uh only thing i can think of is you know when roger clemens admitted that he applied uh was it icy hot or, or something like that yeah to, uh, his uh, below the waist region to uh fire himself up almost literally uh, yeah, maybe this is a, a case, uh, you know, like uh, our athletes, uh, to be uh, to be honest, uh, uh, to, to, to show candor. Maybe this is a situation with a little too much information uh, from Archie <laughs> Bradley. But, uh, you know, this I, I think from now on this has to enter the thought process when we're wondering, why did a guy have a bad night? And, and you just think, you know, did he take care of business? Properly uh, in the bathroom, apparently, before uh, he went out to the mound. That is something uh, uh, we'll apparently have to consider in the future. Unbelievable. (laughs) It it, it uh, is unbelievable. The stories and how they come out, and and why even mention that? He was talking on a podcast with Yahoo, and uh, just uh, you never, never know. Well, Ian, before we get out of here, I do want to talk a little bit with you about the awful announcing side of things that you do, and you're an editor over there. And uh, some sports media topics. Always fun to kind of dive into that with you. And want to start in the Big Ten. You're a a Big Ten guy. And uh, we live in, well, split Big Ten, Big 12 country. 
but $51 million now in television revenue being, in, being brought in for this coming season, dwarfing even the SEC, who's down at $40 million. Yep. You're talking about in five years doubling the amount of money that's coming in. Where's this money going, Ian? Uh, it's going uh, to to uh, each uh, member school. You know, you're seeing uh, facilities, uh, more uh, resources uh, enjoyed by these Big Ten teams uh, than ever before. It certainly uh, helps uh, to get uh, the Big Ten network uh, into uh, markets uh, where you know the Big Ten might not actually have a literal presence uh, as far as as, as school. Uh, in the area, but it, it is, it's, it's an astounding uh, amount of money. Uh, maybe this is why uh, schools like Michigan can afford to take uh, trips to Rome uh, and things like that. But uh, the Big Ten Network, uh, clearly the envy of all uh, college conference networks. Everybody else is playing catch-up, whether it's the SEC, uh, the Pac-12 has had major problems uh, with distribution. Uh, we're going to see the ACC start up, I think. Uh, I believe it's next season. Uh, but, you know, there's just too much money uh, there available, and other conferences are seeing uh, the Big Ten rake in major revenue here, and uh, they want a piece of that as well. Uh, you know, for uh, uh, as much as you can criticize uh, Jim Delaney for, uh, I- including uh, putting the Big Ten uh, conference tournament in New York, Mm-hmm. Uh, last season, uh, he has absolutely been uh, a pioneer, I think, uh, with the Big Ten Network and creating something that is the envy uh, of uh, college athletics. Ian, with that number and what you just referenced from the SEC, the Big Twelve had like thirty-five million to each school, thirty-eight million, right in there. Do the Power Fives now, can they stop crying that they're broke, that they don't have any money? Can we get past that and just focus on mid-majors and smaller schools now? Yeah, that that argument holds no water. Uh, How how can that be taken seriously? Uh, I I suppose, you know, the next argument also is uh, why aren't players uh, uh, getting a a piece of that major revenue, uh, you know, when it's – their exploits uh, that that's drawing uh, so much uh, of this money. If if it wasn't for the athletes, uh, you know, would the Big Ten have uh, this sort of content uh, to offer uh, cable networks? But uh, yeah, uh, Division One programs uh, cannot be crying for the Power Five conferences. Uh, clearly, uh, enjoying a, a huge uh, advantage, even if they're, if they're not successful on the field. Uh, certainly. Uh, very prosperous uh, financially. Things looking good for the Big Ten, BTN, and their media partners, Fox, ESPN, and everybody else. Speaking of Foxy, and you got to help me out here because I've read the articles at Awful Announcing. I've read some stuff on this. I'm trying to figure out what's going on with Fox and the regional sports networks. For us here, Fox Sports North, Fox Sports Midwest, Fox Sports Wisconsin, you know, Kansas City. They all have these different entities. You watch a lot of baseball on these channels. With uh, the approval that Disney is going to get a bunch of pieces of Fox, but they're going to have to sell off these regional sports companies, can you help us out? What in God's name's going on here? Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit surprised with this of ESPN. I, I think that having the regional sports networks uh, was going to be a major asset for ESPN in Disney acquiring Fox. You know, I think they could have saved money. 
say, you know, rather than sending reporters out to uh, Iowa or Dallas or, or, or California, you know, they could use talent from those regional sports networks, you know, to file a report or a correspondence uh, on Sports Center. But uh, it looks like ESPN is willing uh, to, uh, to uh, shirk those uh, regional sports networks if, if it means uh, making this uh, merger with, with Fox uh, go through. Uh, I don't know if this is something that, you know, Comcast, you know, they've been trying to acquire Fox as well. If that's something, will they uh, pursue these regional sports networks? Uh, these are big money. Uh, certainly for, you know, they're paying major money to broadcast uh, these teams, whether, you know, it's baseball or basketball, hockey, uh, college sports, you know, to have that uh, content that uh, viewers aren't going to uh, DVR uh, and watch later. Uh, you know, advertisers want to make sure that uh, they have uh, a captive audience, if you will, uh, during live sports. Uh, these things are big money, uh, and if ESPN is not going to keep these uh, regional sports networks, uh, this just casts, I think, a wide-open net uh, in sports media, in sports broadcasting, as to who could pick up uh, these networks, as you point out, just virtually every market uh, you can think of has a, a Fox uh, sp- uh, regional network or, or Root Sports uh, or, or some, something like that. Uh, there's going to be big money on the table uh, for, for these networks uh, for whichever channel uh, looks to pick them up. Ian, it's always good, pal, when we catch up with you. You have a great day, and thank you as always. Thank you so much for having me on. I always enjoy talking to you guys. Good stuff from Ian Castleberry. Find him on Twitter at Ian Cass. And uh, always a lot of fun with him, Jimmy B. Baseball talk, little announcing, sports media always changing. Mm-hmm. All I care about, I just want to be able to watch my twins. Whoever owns it, I don't, I don't give a crap. I just want to be able to watch <laughs> the twins and yell at my TV like I was doing last night. Frustrating night of baseball. I know, long pal. Rain delay. And uh, giving yeah. up a 4-2 to two lead, losing... 8-4 to four to the god-awful White Sox. That aside, baseball in the books. We'll take a break. Coming back on the other side with more with you until 6 o'clock tonight. We also got high school baseball on the airwaves this evening. Southeast Polk ranked number 6 against West Des Moines Valley. Should be a good one. 6.45 with the pregame. 7 o'clock with the first pitch. All here on 1700. Back with more in a moment. Welcome back, everybody. Final segment here on a Wednesday on the Big Talker 1700. Uh, but my partner here, Trent, is far from finished, boy. You got to get on the road and get out of here and go get ready for high school baseball. That's right. Uh, making my way to Runnels slash Pleasant Valley slash uh, whatever other towns converge over there. Southeast <laughs> Polk will be my destination at Jimmy B when I uh, was coming up with the schedule. I didn't know we were going to obviously have all the rain that we had, but good thing here. No worried about field conditions, anything like that. Yep. They have the beautiful field turf out there, so the game will go on as planned tonight as long as we don't get any lightning. Southeast Polk and West Des Moines Valley should be a real good one. Uh, both these teams have been ranked throughout the season. Tigers 20 and 9 on the year. Southeast Polk 21 and 7. Two excellent teams, high level, and uh, two teams that have a great chance of making their way to Principal Park and the state tournament. So I'll take the air right after we get out of here at about 6.45. After I get over there, get set up, and away we go with high school baseball tonight. Looking forward to that one. Jimmy B., what do you have on the agenda for tonight? 
Well, I was going to ask you if while you're calling the game, if you were going to keep track of how the Twins are doing on your phone just by peeking in during commercial breaks in between innings. But look, the way that you uh, went off on them earlier today and how disappointed that you are, I don't know if you'll do that or not. Me, on the other hand, uh, I am going to be locked into that uh, Cubs-Dodgers uh, series uh, it was a lot of fun last night, mm-hmm. uh, and and watching Javi Baez just go crazy. Uh, Matt Carpenter did the same thing for St. Louis last night as well. So they are hosting Cleveland. So to me, you know me, I like to watch stars play. So I will indeed uh, early. I'm going to watch some of St. Louis and Cleveland. Sorry, the Twins White Sox <laughs> game doesn't quite blow my skirt up. Uh, and then late night, I'm going to sample the Cubs and the Dodgers. That's where I'm going to be, kid. Well, and and the Cardinals after taking the first two games of that series against Cleveland. Cleveland came in red hot, and uh, they have been able to dissipate them. The, the Cardinals are playing good baseball again, feeling good, and I think the biggest thing for them is the performance they got out of Carlos Martinez. It's been, yeah. since he come ba- came back from that oblique injury, he's been frankly uneven from the standards that he had set from himself before that injury. Came out there, he was very good once again. That's a sigh of relief, because even if you're winning games, you're staying in there. You need that ace. You need that guy at the top of the rotation. You can know every fifth day is going to be there. He'll take the ball in game one. Martinez looked to be back to his old self and and hopefully setting up a race, Jimmy B. That's what we're hoping for. I don't think we're going to get in the American League Central, but in the National League Central with the mm-hmm. Cubs and the Brewers and the Cardinals, a three-headed race. And don't look now. The Cincinnati Reds keep winning. They win a series <laughs> against the first-place Atlanta Braves, Jim. What's going on here? They sweep away the Cubbies. They win this series. Break up the Reds. Reds? I have no idea. They're only 13 games out right now. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Look, the Cubs are two and a half out. Cardinals are four. And the Pirates are nine and a half. I, I have a feeling that the Pirates have pretty much played their way out of it. So I think you're right. I think it's going to be Cubs, Brewers, Cards down the stretch. And... Look, that, that's it, and it's we want a race. We don't want somebody just running away and and hiding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I like to see it being competitive. Aren't you in that category as well? Oh, of course, of course. I mean, without okay. without a rooting interest, I think anybody that's yeah. a sports fan would rather see that than anything else. It goes without saying, Jimmy B. Can I interest you tomorrow? It's the final yes. day of the group stage. Can I get you interested in a little Senegal Colombia? Um, do I have to? Japan, Poland? Uh, do I have to? Panama, Tunisia. Does that... Oh, Tunisia is the team that you asked me to pick. So, yes, I'll be locked into Tunisia. I want to see how those Tunisians do. Don't do that because going on at the same time is actually a great match. England, Belgium tomorrow at one o'clock. Oh, now you're talking. Yeah, that okay. that's the one. Yes. That, I, I gave you the, the appetizers. Here comes the big state, yes. Jimmy B. England, I'll, I'll Belgium. Get your tickets yes. now or, or flip it on your television. That's probably Absolutely. More yes, I I will I will indeed sample that one for sure in World Cup. I told you and, and the television ratings have just been abysmal in the United States as well. I don't and care about that though. Jim, I'm I know you don't care. I know you don't care. I know yeah, you don't care I mean, about that, but I'm just saying that not that many folks are really 
into this. Well, what are they watching? HGTV? We're not going to break that down. Well, no, is what is it? Kate plus eight or whatever that goofy show's called? I don't know. The Bachelorette? Are you watching that? It seems like something Jeez. you'd watch. No, ain't happening. Not in my world. <laughs> the the thing that the thing that gets me though is is that I you know me, I want to see the stars play. I want to see Messi. I want to see Ronaldo. I want to see Neymar. And from that aspect, I, I guess I'm gonna get a chance to see him in the knockout round. Mm-hmm. And I hope that they feature those teams so that you know they're on at a time where me and my sleeping habits i get a chance to watch them we can hope they should they should structure it on my sleeping habits i'm not getting up at 6 a.m to watch (laughs) well you don't have to worry about that anymore 9 a.m is the earliest that things will start you'll be in good shape with can that. they make it 10? No. Can they make it 10? No. Uh-huh. We got to get out of here. I got to get to Runnels. Okay. I got to get out of here. All right? All right. All right. Go. Get out of here. 10 a.m. is much better for me. Jimmy B and TC, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow bright and early, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, on the Big Talker 1700.